We're back. Welcome to our special film formally mini-series. Friend of the podcast, Sophie Renvari's short films are, as you may or may not have heard, now available for streaming on the Criterion channel. To mark this occasion, we're joining Sophie to record a series of commentary tracks. These feature the writer, director, co-editor, and sometimes star, Sophie herself. Each episode will be synchronized to a specific film available on the Criterion channel. Just have the short film for this commentary ready to go and press play on the movie when you hear a ding. Like that. You don't need to worry about getting the sync too perfect. After the film, we'll have a little bit of extra discussion that isn't bound by the chains of synchronization. Today's commentary is for Norman Norman. So get your copy of the movie ready to start playing. We're going to start in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right, Norman Norman, a sibling film to Pumpkin Movie. This is an interesting shot to look at. I screened this in Van City Theater once, and this shot got like gasps from the audience because it's just, whoa, giant dog nose. We have to talk about this dog, Norman. Norman was my longest love, my best friend. He, I had got Norman when I was 11, and he died when I was 28. Spoiler, Norman has, has now passed. Uh, but no, Norman Norman was, again, a concept that came to me really, really quickly and felt the urgency to make it very quickly. And it actually got pared down from the initial concept, which I wanted to like really dive into like dog cloning and find out you know what it would take to clone a dog and make it more of like an investigative documentary. And as I was doing the research for it, I realized that the research was actually just just as interesting and actually a little bit more just like funny. <laughs> because it's such, such an absurd thing to, to think about doing. So I realized that it would be more interesting to just make the film about someone diving down like a rabbit hole of research of how to clone their dog. The movie's interesting because you could say it's from Norman's perspective, but it's not quite that. There's not really a clear subjective or objective perspective in this movie. Like to me, like did you have a clear perspective in mind when you when you two were shooting it? Yeah, I didn't want to show the character's face because I wanted to focus on Norman and his experience. But yeah, it's not really his point of view necessarily. Yeah, I think I wanted to I wanted to show the kind of anonymous experience of being a person behind a computer, like diving down into YouTube and just like watching video after video and contrasting that with Norman's experience of complete ambivalence, which I thought to me, to me just felt like a... Uh, a funny concept because you know it really juxtaposes like the human human's connection and, and ties to mortality in a way that dogs are not aware of and i thought it'd be like the best way to really communicate that experience between two species just like side by side because uh, this research is for norman for the dog but he's he has no idea what's the desperation that the person is going through to keep him alive beyond his natural life and i think it's just yeah it speaks to like this kind of disturbing desire that people have but also the you know the consciousness of mortality and the sort of curse that that is i think that was something i really wanted to explore and again the sort of lack of acceptance we should talk a little bit about the the cross-country nature of our collaboration together i think this is a good film to chat about that about yeah absolutely yeah so i moved to toronto from Vancouver in 2016, just right after we shot those first two films. And, but we've continued to collaborate together cross country in a way that like, I don't even really realize that we live across the country now because it's just become so second nature. 
to do that. I mean, obviously, Devin and I are often in the same place when we shoot. Usually it's when one of us happens to snag a film festival pass in the other one's city. Yeah, exactly. This was shot during Hot Dogs. This was shot during Hot Dogs when Pumpkin Movie was playing Hot Dogs, yes. And in this film, again, it was like, came together really quickly. I believe I edited something together and then sent it to you, Will, for your your take on it and then you did yeah you 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 were like you know if if you think that there's edits to be made or changes then like you know it's it's ready for you but i i think it might be done and i watched it and i i gave up an editing credit because i i told you it was done with one exception the like final shot of norman walking towards the camera i was like i don't know i feel like it's too much it's too schmaltzy it's it's hitting and uh you ignored me and kept it and you were right to keep it i do love that shot yeah I know the structure of the film is totally flipped too. Originally, like th- we shot this stuff first, the daytime stuff. And then originally the first cut had this first and then they got flipped with the nighttime stuff. Yes, that is true. It was it was inverted. Yeah, but it was very, it was just very pure. And Norman was just, uh, we just waited for him to fall asleep in different places, I think. It was most of the, most of the filming experience. <laughs> and then Barbara, I think. yeah, was the inspiration for the film because she cloned her dogs so yeah i don't know i mean it it really was just like a again a desperate act to kind of conserve the time i had left with norman and it's we've talked about how it's kind of like the, the movie is the clone like it's the way that i've preserved him in the way that i can like go back and see him but just sort of like a pre it's almost like pre-grief like you're trying to grieve before you have to trying to come to terms with something that is you know is going to be difficult and I think making the film genuinely did help with that especially because I got to have all these beautiful experiences with Norman after that like going to the TIFF premiere with him he had his own little pass with a photo he had his own little pass he got to go on the red carpet he came to the screening and like so it really made the last like couple years or year of his life like just such a special joy that you know I wouldn't have had if I if we didn't make this film like I have this giant poster of Norman right here beside me now that watches over me. So no, it was really it was really special. And again, just like not no expectation of how that film would be received. And the fact that it premiered at TIFF was, I think, a surprise to everybody. Let's talk about that element. This one of all the films that we've collaborated on probably had the least amount of hoopla around its production in the sense that it was so tossed off. Like I literally just brought a camera on the plane with me because I had an inkling. I and mean, it was a crap piece of crap shit camera. And like we had a broken tripod. The film, I know you say that like I I uphold a certain standard. This film does not match the usual standards. <laughs> and again, I say this as a compliment. For, for me, what's so interesting about all this is that this film, I think, made for no money, no no resources, and then finished really fast. I color graded this on my laptop on an airplane, yet it immediately gets into the biggest film festival in Canada, which is Toronto International Film Festival, like immediately. That I think says a lot about how we conceive of labor in films, because a question I get asked a lot from students is, you know, what camera do I need to shoot on? Or what, what production values do I need to uphold to get into festivals? And this film is like a giant middle finger in the eye of all of that. And, and I'm curious as to your thoughts on that interesting tension here, where it seems like you are putting the labor into areas that are not necessarily traditionally considered important. I mean, I think it was just like, a, again, a very simple concept. And one that we executed well for what the concept was. And it's something that it can be universally understood, but it's like, it's quite vague in a lot of ways, but it really, I think it's the juxtaposition between like the, the sounds that you're hearing and the visual that you're seeing. 
And I think that was, you know, strong enough to make it stand out. But I, I think that like having it programmed at TIFF was just a matter of the programmers seeing something in it, like seeing something in it that was unique and wanting to give a platform to that, which is, you know, what programmers should be doing. But it's like not something that you would expect with a film like that, because oftentimes the films you see at like TIFF, for example, are very like high production value, very glossy, very narrative driven. And I think, yeah, they maybe just were like, yeah, we see what you're you're trying to do here. And it's interesting. And there's a lot of heart in it for sure. And I think that helps. We definitely did not have the intention of it premiering at TIFF, because I think a lot of people make films to premiere at Sundance, to premiere at TIFF, to premiere Berlin. And they, you know, they're trying to hit a certain target with the aesthetic. And sometimes that can work if you really sell yourself to it. But we didn't do that at all here. And it had a very unintended outcomes. I don't know. I feel like it's probably annoying to hear <laughs> like to hear us be like, oh, we didn't even mean to. We just kind of gone into TIFF. But, it, you know, I think that at that point, we had been working really hard at like making these films together. And we were like building a a language together and we were building sort of a really good shorthand in our collaborations and it just like comes through because we were just like sticking to what we really felt and it was like very you know instinctual and very pure and just like kept trying kept trying kept trying and I think that's it to make a lot of films in a short amount of time is the best way to really like find out what you want to do and I feel lucky that we've made so many together I'm always surprised when people see things in these films what I'm really trying to get at with the kind of idea of the labor of the film, basically, is this idea of what gives a film value, right? What, not production value, but what gives a film actual value? And I'm always trying to, like, talk about the lessons I've learned. I think Norman Norman's an example of the film, I think, where it's, it's your most conceptual film, I think, in the sense that it leans entirely on this one mechanism, this one tension in the film, right? It, it's, it's incredibly stripped down and minimalist in that way, and... I, I think that gives the film a value that films that are kind of caught up in the traditional apparatus often miss. And and that's kind of what I'm trying to get at here is this idea that there are opportunities in non-traditional modes of production that are afforded those who engage in it that aren't often afforded those who can only think inside the box of, hey, we need a crew. <laughs> we need a budget. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to lowering the stakes and following your instincts and making things that are true to how you feel. And like I think for me, I, above everything else, just like having something that is distinctly your point of view. I think that's something that all these films are inarguably distinct in their point of view. But people really see my work and like, oh, it's so much like this or that. Like, you know, obviously people like talk about Varda or Ackerman just because I'm a woman or whatever. I mean, there's probably is some, some comparisons there, but like I actually haven't even seen all of either of their films like I think they're incredible filmmakers but I don't necessarily feel like in conversation with their work like maybe other people see that like I don't feel like my work is necessarily very uh I don't know it's I have a hard time categorizing it I'm more interested in other people categorizing it as far as labor goes too I think people underestimate like so much of the labor of these films is literally developing that point of view right like to, like taking the time to really think about what you think about cinema and your own life and like your ideas of how cinema could translate to film like that is actual labor right it is and i think people really undersell that i think you can spend a long time trying to get the funding for something and getting all the right cast and getting all the right crew but if you don't really have like a distinct point of view everyone has a distinct point of view but whether or not you're like putting that on screen 
really just comes with practice and experience and confidence and, you know, working with the right people. But I think you can spend so much time and labor in the wrong places. Not wrong places. I mean, like everyone has different goals for how, like what they want to do with film. I'm sure that, you know, the three of us could make a very conventional, good looking narrative piece of work that is, you know, appealing. (laughs) But would it make any of us feel satisfied with what we were putting out into the world? Like, I don't know. It's that's currently not interesting to me, but some people some people want to make money. So I don't know. Thanks for listening, folks. You can hear the rest of the commentaries on this podcast feed or find them on filmformally.com. Paige Smith is our associate producer, and Amanda Avery is this episode's editor. This podcast was recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Till next time. <laughs>